0: are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast.
1: Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's happening? Welcome to the Locked On Pistons podcast, your episode for Thursday, September 19th, and some Darko news popping up this week. This is your boy, Matt Shook, the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, a sports writer here in Detroit City covering the NBA, for the Detroit News and Associated Press, Pistons fan and follower, my whole life, and a sports newspaper reporter for over a decade as well. Thanks for spreading the word about the Lockdown Pistons podcast. Today we're going to share the latest about a tough subject for Pistons fans out there, and that's Darko Milicic. He has popped up in the news a little bit this week. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk to the Hoops Head podcast guys for a segment that I did for their show on the Pistons where I reveal where I'm at right now in terms of prediction for this season, my pre-training camp Prediction for the Detroit Pistons. But give me a follow on Twitter, by the way, at Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H. Another underscore for that, and also the Locked on Pistons Twitter account. And check us out on Facebook at Locked on Pistons dash Matt Shook. But Darko Milicic, always a tough You know, kind of a punchline on this show, as we know, and a little bit of a disappointment uh, as we look back. But it's hard to be that disappointed about the era because of all the good times. The 2004 championship reaching Game 7 of the finals in 2005. But yeah, maybe uh, the era could have been prolonged at least a little bit or maybe a lot bit if the uh, different selection was made by the Pistons in the 2003 draft, taking Darko Milicic Number two when we know that obviously the rest of the top five was pretty much Hall of Famers in the NBA. LeBron James going number one to Cleveland. The Pistons taking Darkwood number two. Denver getting Carmelo Anthony at number three. Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade. Uh, The story goes on and on about the top five. Uh, A day that will live in infamy. And if we're being honest, probably the main reason why Joe Dumars hasn't been able to get uh, great work. Now we know he's consulting with the Sacramento Kings again here but uh, Darko Milicic a black eye for this organization no doubt about that um but apparently the news this week is that his hometown of Novi Sayad, or or Sayad, it's pronounced or it's spelled Novi Sad I don't know um eastern european languages and how the dialect goes so excuse my pronunciation but uh, that's his hometown that Darko grew up on he's actually going to be he's living there again and is going to be playing for their basketball team in the second division of the Serbian League. This news, according to BasketballSphere.com, a Bosnian hoop site out in Europe. Uh, Darko is now 34 years old. He last played in the NBA with the Boston Celtics in 2012. That was seven years ago, if you can believe that. Stints all over the league with the Knicks, the Timberwolves, the Grizzlies, the Orlando Magic after his days with the Detroit Pistons. Uh, famously, he was a kickboxer for one bout professionally in 2014, lost that as his opponent just uh, went crazy on his legs, ended up bloodying up his legs to the point where he couldn't return and and fight anymore. And then in 2017, there was an ESPN feature, which I reread just now about him being an apple farmer out in Serbia, leery of the reporter, uh, wondering if he was going to be just writing about how much of a bust he was in the NBA, Uh, but also detailing with pride about his uh, his his fame and fortune in his town of Serbia um, most people around him uh, kind of talk about him like he's a bust in the NBA and didn't do the right things but some a solid life that it sounds like he has out there in his hometown in Serbia and uh, congratulations to him for not you know losing his fame and, and fortune uh, he's, he's a guy who made over 50 million dollars in the NBA and seems to be have done a decent enough job with it. And to the point where he has a, a large uh, plot of land where he's got a couple of houses on there and a, three kids that are talked about in the uh, in the article, and also his wife, the same wife that he had uh, when he was um, married as a member of the NBA in the United States. So, uh, you know, congratulations to Darko that things are going uh, relatively well for him despite the lack of. Uh, Fulfilling his promise as an NBA player, especially for the Detroit Pistons. Uh, A carp fisherman as well, apple farmer, former kickboxer, and now a returning to his NBA uh, roots, or his basketball roots, I should say. Uh, A bit of a political radical based on the tattoos of some political figures from Serbia that he has on his torso that uh, were kind of talked about quite a bit when he made his kickboxing debut, and only kickboxing match. Obviously, a shirtless sport, so those were exposed to the world. I'm not going to pretend to know the context of the tattoos and translations. Tried to read quite a bit about them. But, uh, again, I'm not going to pass along empty information about that. But we always we know that uh, the former Yugoslavia is an area that's always steeped in turmoil. And, you know, all of these things add up. Uh, the characteristics, the immaturity of Darko back then. Um, it just it just paints everything that Joe Dumars did. And John Hammond will put into this group too, because he didn't leave the Pistons till 2008. Tony Ranzoni was the ace in the hole European scout back then that the Pistons had on their employ. And, uh, it was basically a huge roll of a dice for, for Joe Dumars. I remember written by, first of all, Chad Ford and other members of the local media here. It seemed like every move that Joe Dumars made and rightfully for, uh, the first half of his tenure was painted as the right move and in the second half of his tenure as he kind of bumbled his way through the uh the rest of his time as an executive with the Pistons th- there was still like I said Chad Ford of ESPN.com and some members of the local media as well just kind of painted those moves as the correct one everyone kind of just believed in Tony Ranzoni and the uh, European scouting staff that they had back then and uh you know, this Darko move was painted as one that was the right one to make without question about it. Even though us fans were like, man, we've watched Carmelo Anthony play, we've watched Chris Bosch, we've watched, or Chris Bosch to a lesser extent. There wasn't much uh, uh, success for Georgia Tech, but we saw, you know, Dwayne Wade get to the Final Four and saw that these players are um, reliable uh, NBA bench players to start their career for a great NBA team that the Pistons had back then. Seemed obvious to us. But man, if all these smart guys believe that uh, Darko Milicic is even better than them, then it's got to be the right move because no one in their right minds would pass up fringe uh, future all-stars in those great players in a draft that everyone knew was one of the best ones of all time and has certainly lived up to that billing with everyone except Darko Milicic, then uh, we put the trust in those guys to steer the ship and... uh, we saw how that worked out. Uh, like I said, ESPN.com's Chad Ford, his career has gone off the rails since then. He was, you know, in bed with Joe Dumars at that point, uh, and he absolutely defended that Darko pick forever, despite all the evidence that we saw to the contrary, uh, in the early parts of Darko's career. And since then, you know, Chad Ford, I think it was Deadspin that revealed that Chad Ford has changed his mock drafts, uh, after the fact, over the years, to make it look like he had done better projections. Obviously, this isn't a huge deal in the grand scheme of things in our in our lives, but since that's what his career is and was based on, it makes everything you do pretty much a fraud. So Chad Ford is uh, someone you don't see uh, anymore out in the uh, the NBA world in terms of journalism and whatnot. Um, and like I said, a lot of other local journalists that kind of just uh, hitched their wagon to the Darko pick and the Joe Dumars led front office, and that has not aged well in terms of uh, how things have gone for them. Um, There was just so much talk about how advanced the Pistons were in Europe back then, and they knew, uh, and and later, obviously, uh, Larry Brown became the guy who would be in charge of those Pistons teams, recently hired as the coach to take over for Rick Carlisle, noted as a guy who doesn't play young players. Maybe the Pistons could have explored trading that pick for such a valuable prospect in Darko or whoever else, that the, another team who had coveted with that pick. Now, Larry Brown, the other part of the big Darko news this week, this was tweeted out by Justin Termine, uh, who has a show apparently with Eddie Johnson on Sirius XM NBA. I don't listen to Sirius XM NBA, so I don't know much about the show. But Justin tweeted out that uh, Larry Brown told Eddie Johnson and Justin in the show that he was told the Pistons were going to draft Mello, but management didn't even bring Melo, Bosch, or Wade in for workouts despite Brown wanting them to. Added that Darko couldn't get through his workouts without getting totally exhausted. So obviously this gets worse and worse however you slice it. This is Larry Brown and his one-sided take on the story. We don't know if it was completely true. Uh, We don't know what the relationship between Brown and the front office was right when he was hired in terms of making the uh, draft decisions. It would make sense that the front office would Ah, uh, veto whatever the coach had to say on that, but obviously, you know, we're talking about something that's nearly 20 years ago, and uh, we know how people have revisionist history sometimes about things where they're obviously on the right side of history if they're against the drafting of Darko Milicic, and 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 again, if what uh, Larry Brown is saying is true, that the Pistons didn't even bring Carmelo Wade, uh, Carmelo Bosch, and Wade in for workouts, and they were a thousand a percent behind Darko. It looks even worse because obviously we know that Darko had the character issues, and you probably could have found those out, or uh, if you delved a little bit deeper into the guy um, psychologically, then maybe you could have figured out that uh, he would not be the right selection for the Pistons back then, uh, especially when you had a championship team, one that could have made a safe swing and taken a, a Chris Bosh or a Carmelo Anthony or Dwayne Wade type and gotten uh, what you know guys that had Hall of Fame type careers. Uh, as they went on in their long and successful NBA careers. But uh, enough bad talk, I guess, for uh, the Darko times. Uh, It's not pleasant to talk about, and we don't want to drag a guy through the mud. But, man, uh, tough ones to swallow when we think about these last 10, 11 years with the Detroit Pistons organization and maybe how things could have gone uh, differently in many, many ways if the Pistons had made different moves Back then, but Mac Weldon. Speaking of good moves that you can make, it's better than whatever you're wearing right now. For twenty percent off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code Locked On. Smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. MacWeldon.com. Up next, I'm going to share an interview with I did that I did with the Hoops Head Heads Heads podcast about the Pistons, kind of previewing them, where we're at, heading into training camp. That's next year on the Locked On Pistons podcast. <laughs>
0: First of all, I want to go back and talk a little bit about last year's Pistons season. Give us a quick recap of kind of where the Pistons ended last year and how that led them into what they did this offseason.
1: Yeah, so uh thanks for guys having me first of all, but it was Absolutely. pretty much as mediocre as as you could imagine of a season for the Detroit Pistons and fittingly 41 and 41. It doesn't get any more poetic <laughs> than that to go 41 and 41 in the season. But, uh, you know, the goal is to make the playoffs, and they did that, snuck in on the last day of the season as the eighth seed, kind of a, a late swoon to fall out of the, uh, the end of that six, seven, eight range, uh, so fell to the bottom of eighth, but uh, luckily did edge out Charlotte and Miami for that eighth spot, and then got the uh, pleasure of getting the Milwaukee Bucks in the first round, and it was a quick one as Blake Griffin missed the first two games of the playoffs because of a, a knee injury that he uh, flared up late in the season. And, uh, yeah, the Bucks took care of them very easily. The games three and four at Little Caesars Arena were the first two playoff games in uh, LCA history. Uh, the Pistons have not won a playoff game since 2008 still. But uh, fans were pretty excited for that games three and four. I mean, uh, they caught some mainstream attention here in the Michigan sports media market and sports uh, mainstream, uh, filled the building for a couple games, and really played uh, pretty competitively in both of those games at home. And I know it sounds... Very participation trophy, very also ran to say that uh, coming close in playoff games and almost winning one game is, is something to feel proud about. But that's where we're at after about a decade of uh, mediocrity at best with this team after so many great years before that. Yeah, I'm sure the fan base
0: there has got to be pretty hungry for a winner. I know during the time when the bad boys were there and they sort of the glory days of Pistons basketball with the Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton group, that those fans were – super supportive of the team and I'm sure they got to be really hungry to get this thing turned around and get them headed in the right direction.
1: Yeah and not only that but it's it's a whole you look at it from a macro level like I said it's the Michigan sports scene right now the four major Detroit teams are basically in the toilet the Lions I mean who knows you know they're kind of perpetually in the toilet until proven otherwise and then uh, even the college football teams that are Michigan State and Michigan are certainly above average teams but flaws of their own so it's it's a depressed state. To be a sports fan here in the state of Michigan, I'm 36 years old. The first 25 years or so of my life, there was always a team competing for a championship year in and year out. Uh, I kind of went in waves on which ones it would be, but man, like I gotta say it's a it's almost a decade now of complete failure, and really uh, six or seven of these past years have been as bad as it gets.
0: Matt, I can vouch for the fact that <laughs> the Detroit Lions have. <laughs> have not been good because since I ever been, since I was a little kid and I have no connection to Detroit whatsoever I have no family there I have nothing but since ever since I can remember there's a picture of me at like 5 years old wearing a Detroit Lions helmet I have always been a Lions fan so the fact that I am a Cleveland Browns fan and a Detroit Lions fan I always tell people that no one can accuse me of being a football bandwagoner because if I am <laughs> I have hitched my bandwagon to two of the worst franchises in professional sports history that have never sniffed a Super Bowl, so I'm, is, right, I'm, right, I'm, I'm at least right there with you on on the Detroit Lions.
1: Yeah, that's quite a one-two punch you got there oh. with the Lions and Browns. That's there's no doubt about that.
0: Absolutely. So, what's Blake Griffin's health like now heading into this season? What's the talk there?
1: Yeah, he had a scope. Uh, sounds like a meniscus injury at the end of last year, and it tore. It, it cut into his off season a little bit. Um, but you know, the, the question is whether it's arthritic or not, Is is there, is there long-term problems? Cause we know about Blake injuries long, uh, Blake Griffin's long injury <laughs> career. Sorry for the faux pas there, but, uh, but, but yeah, he's, uh, uh, he's had so many injuries that you really can't rely on full health. I think if Dwayne Casey and the, the coaching staff really took a, a big look in the mirror this past offseason, they would probably find some more ways for that load management. The favorite term among the NBA, uh, fans and media these days, I think the Pistons need to give uh, Blake the, the second half of back-to-backs or one of the, one of the halves of a back-to-back off and uh, really start thinking of uh, sitting him down some more. Minutes limits, all those good things. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's fine. I mean, his health is okay coming into the season. But uh, as far as how much wear and tear you can do over he uh, 2 we've got real questions here. So,
0: with that being said, let's talk about some of the roster moves that the Pistons made this offseason and how that's going to impact what they look like on the floor this year. Let's talk about who they brought in, who they lost from last season and then what impact that may have out on the court in 2019-2020.
1: Yeah, everything's kind of been around the margins. Uh didn't have a lot of salary cap to uh to to play with because you got Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson on big contracts. So, kind of a shrewd move in getting rid of John lure and acquiring uh, Tony Snell from the Milwaukee Bucks and that, you know, it's uh it's a player who's uh, get a high number in his contract, so you were able to get him from a team that's trying to free up some cap, take care of their things long term. So used kind of a negative asset to get a little bit of a positive asset, and Tony Snell, who will probably be their star- starter at small forward, and used all the exceptions and whatever cap room was able to be scraped about for Derek Rose on a two-year deal this offseason, and uh, show-me deals kind of on uh, Marquise Morris and Tim Frazier being guaranteed contracts, but uh, Joe Johnson this past week, Picked up on a show me deal, a partially guaranteed. Who the training camp invite, and also brought in Christian Wood. And it seems like Joe Johnson and Christian Wood are kind of competing for that uh, 15th spot on the roster. And they also drafted Sekou Dumbuya out of France, the the 18 uh, year old who is the youngest player in the NBA right now on a roster and a uh, very raw. Certainly a guy that you don't expect to make a big contribution in his rookie year, but kind of maybe the guy that you hope is able to move the needle for this group on the talent level, uh, wise, you know, basis, uh, in the next few years, if you're able to develop him, like he might be able to be developed, uh, the losses are Ishmith is the backup point guard. He's been a nice player. For the Pistons for a few years. Glenn Robinson, the third who uh, didn't work out on a one plus one deal that the Pistons, uh, declined the team option on this past season. And then, uh, Zaza Pachulia and Jose Calderon who were veterans that they had brought in to kind of, Uh, Be insurance policies that uh, worked out in Kizaza's case for the most part in Jose Calderon. And my no doubt in Cleveland, uh, pretty much washed at this point in this career.
0: What does the Reggie Jackson, Derrick Rose point guard position, I don't want to call it a battle necessarily, might be too strong of a word, but how does that play out the relationship between those guys? Is there any talk about how they're going to work together, fit together, how the minutes might be distributed between those two?
1: Yeah, I think that that's probably one of the biggest questions coming into the season is, you know, Reggie Jackson's kind of the presumed starter out of those guys. And Derek Rose, like, like we know, has, has some pretty really good moments during his career and obviously some decent moments in Minnesota last year. Really shot the ball well from three in the first half of the season before that. Off a cliff in the second half of the year, it's obviously not something he's done well throughout his career. But I would imagine that you're going to see all, something like a 50-50 split, and there's even talk of, and I believe it, that uh, you might see sometimes where they're on the court together. Now, um, with Reggie Jackson and Ish Smith uh, last year, Dwayne Casey wasn't afraid to keep Ish Smith in there uh, for the stretch run of games if he was playing better if Reggie was having an off game. So, yeah, I would kind of expect him to go with the hot hand and uh, kind of see how things uh, materialize as the year goes on. All right,
0: best case, worst case scenario for the Pistons. What's the best-case scenario for them as you look at what their season could potentially be?
1: I think that the best-case scenario is that someone takes a really big step forward in terms of the young players. I think the most obvious uh, choice of that would be Luke Kennard. If he takes a leap and becomes kind of a night-in, a night in, night out reliable scorer for this team, uh, he, he may not start once again just because the fit in the starting lineup. Guys like Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson hasn't been great in his time in Detroit. But if he's able to play you know, the amount of starter minutes that a starter would play, and like I said, become that consistent uh, impact scorer on the team, I think that's the best path for a best-case scenario for the Pistons. Um, of course, looking around the Eastern Conference, if things maybe don't work out as well with Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn, if uh, Jimmy Butler in Miami don't click right away, and if Orlando kind of stagnates with that group that they have right there. And then if you want to get really, really optimistic and, and think that you know Victor Oladipo's injury prolongs and that... Toronto has issues kind of on a championship hangover without Kawhi Leonard and the uncertainty around Kyle Lowry and what's going on there like I said best best case scenario this team could possibly get all the way up to like a fifth seed or something like that may win 45 47 games but uh, again that's so that's talking best case scenario
0: Right, worst-case scenario, what does that look like?
1: The worst-case scenario, is the Pistons had really remarkable luck last year with the uh, the injuries with Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson played all 82 games, and Blake Griffin's uh, injury history is well chronicled. Then you throw Derrick Rose into that mix, too. So, I mean, I know that all uh, teams in the NBA, a bunch of injuries is the worst-case scenario, but it's a very real scenario for the Pistons going into this season. And you're looking at a team that's uh, looking at the February trade deadline thinking Reggie Jackson's on a – Expiring deal. Andre Drummond has a player option coming up this summer too. Maybe those guys are expendable at the trade deadline, and then you're kind of back on the outside of the playoff picture, uh, but not bad enough to secure uh, one of the top picks in the draft.
0: What's your take on the long-term prospects of keeping Blake and Drummond together? Does that pairing make sense if you can build the rest of the, if you can build the rest of the roster up around them? Is that a duo that can advance you maybe not to a championship level but could that be a team if you built the right team around them that they could maybe get to a conference final if you had the right pieces around them what's your take on those two guys being able to play together out on the floor
1: Yeah, Andre Drummond is such a lightning rod with this fan base, and I'm a little bit more, and I don't take uh, hot takes on a lot of things on the Lockdown Pistons show, but I'm a little bit more on the negative side of Andre Drummond, especially given the the way that Blake Griffin played last year. I mean, he's obviously the the best player on this team, and the guy you want with the ball in his hands, and just the way that the NBA is right now. and, And it sounds enticing in some ways to just throw shooters around those guys and see how it goes, and obviously the Pistons haven't done Uh, the maximum of what they could do around those two guys in terms of the roster. But to me, uh, I find a hard time believing that Andre Drummond is going to be the best or second best player on a team that really is going to have those championship aspirations. And he's, you know, he has improved some aspects of the game throughout the last few years, most famously his free throws, which have been, you know, so bad a few years ago, turned into just regular bad and even kind of good at times these last couple of years. So to me, uh, the fact that Andre Drummond's looking at that summer as a possible opt out for him, and a lot of not a lot of teams with a lot of cap space, but a lot of bad teams that have enough cap space to offer a big money deal. I think that the Pistons, uh, in the back of their minds, and I know that it's probably an organization that's split in a lot of ways with this uh, big topic that they have to deal with next summer. But I think that if Andre Drummond walked away, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And I think that you know building a more conventional. Uh, NBA team that has you know one good you know quote unquote post player and then starts building more around the wings and the perimeter. I think that's probably the model that they're uh, that would most likely lead to future success for this franchise.
0: All right. So all that being said, where do you see the Pistons finishing out when mid-April rolls around in 2020? Where do you see them finishing up in the standings? And you see them making the playoffs? And where where do you see their season finishing out?
1: Yeah, I, I know I might sound a little doom and gloom with some of the things I've said so far, but I am an optimist. I've, I've kind of, uh, you know, we do this show every day here on the Locked On Podcast Network, and we do we talk about the Pistons. So I'm not going to talk about a team that I dislike or hate or anything. I do like this team. I, you know, I do like that uh, Blake Griffin is one of the more interesting, to me, athletes in the sport right now, and I think that uh, he's a guy to watch night in and night out. So I'm not going to predict that the Pistons are going to be befell with injuries. Obviously, it's something that's on the table So I'm going to say a slight improvement over 41-41 and last year. I'll give them 43 games, and I'll uh, even say that they're going to sneak up to the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference. I don't know about some of these other teams at the bottom of the East playoff race, and I will make the bold prediction that the Pistons will win their first playoff game since 2008. I won't say series, but they'll win their first playoff game since 2008, and we'll be able to knock that streak down and uh, move on with our lives hopefully in a better direction as years (laughs) go on.
0: Nice. I like it. I like it. Do you think they have any chance to win a first round series if something would break right? Yeah, in terms I think of the it, matchups
1: Yeah, I think that matchups is what it's all about. And unfortunately the way that the last few weeks of the season went last year with uh Blake Griffin having the injury right at the wrong time, they dropped some games that they shouldn't have then and it uh, avoided them from getting you know, Philadelphia or Toronto. And, of course, don't get me wrong, that ended up predicting that they'd be anywhere close to winning the series against these teams. But, uh, you know, the Pistons took uh, four from Toronto during the season. They had the Dwayne Casey thing that they could play for. And uh, just the way that Andre Drummond and Brook Lopez, um, while I believe that Andre Drummond is a better player than Brook Lopez, it's just one of those matchups that's a nightmare for Andre Drummond. He was kind of exposed during that series, whereas you know Carl Anthony Towns clearly a better player than Andre Drummond, but that's a guy that Drummond has just kind of eaten alive throughout his entire career. Carl Anthony Towns has never beaten the Pistons. So, yeah, I think that if the Pistons could have landed on a good matchup in that first round, they could have won a game, possibly even uh, two games or maybe even made a couple of games competitive and losing in five or something like that. And uh, the optimist in me thinks that uh, a competitive first-round series is possible for this group, and uh, we're going to go on a limit and predict.
0: Matt, can't thank you enough for jumping on the Hoophead's Pod NBA preview with us. Uh, we really appreciate it.
1: Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks to those guys for having me on. That is Mike Cleansing and Jason Sunkel of the Hoops Head Podcast. I'll let you know on social media when that's coming out, so check my feed for that. They're doing previews for each of the divisions with uh, someone who can talk about each NBA team. So we filled in for them for the Pistons stuff. And, uh, yeah, so just wanted to share that content with you guys and get my prediction out there for the pre-training camp Detroit Pistons going into this season. This is your boy Matt Shook, the host of the Locked on Pistons podcast. Sam, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.